Presenting Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Focus on Truth is dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of the free grace of God and helping people understand the practical relevance of the Bible. Join now with Chuck as together we focus on the truth of God's Word. This is our fourth in our series that I've entitled, It is Finished, where we're looking specifically at one of the sayings of Jesus from the cross and talking about what uh, what it what it means uh, today we're going to be looking at the immediate context and that is the crucifixion of Jesus when he actually said this to telestai um, which is the greek word the single greek word for our english sentence it is finished uh, simply means a cry of accomplishment that Jesus wasn't uh, wasn't giving up because uh, he was tired and worn out and I've had enough it was actually he actually did accomplish something we've looked at the prophetic con, uh, context uh, in the Old Testament uh, where we have seen the unfolding of the promises of a coming Redeemer and today we're going to look at the Redeemer who has indeed come uh, in our last session we looked at uh, at Jesus prime directive where, where we talked about the centrality of the cross in Jesus life that everything that he did, everything that he said, always pointed to that. It was, uh, as I mentioned, the uh, if you're a uh, Star Trek fan, uh, it's a uh, the the prime directive. Uh, notice in your notes in the introductory portion, the passage from Acts chapter four, verse twenty-seven and twenty-eight. Clearly, what uh, this this event was was certainly planned before the creation of the world where Peter says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city, that's the Romans and the Jews in Jerusalem, to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Notice again, this this was not a surprise. Jesus said over and over early on in His public ministry, my time has not yet come. But then as we get to that uh, that final time, particularly after the events there at Caesarea Philippi, when He asked the disciples, who, who, who do you say that I am? And He began, and you'll recall that Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. To which Jesus replied, uh, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. You, have, you haven't learned that on your own. You haven't learned it by listening to what other people have said. But my Father has revealed that to you. And of course, the only way we'll, we'll anyone of us ever comes to see the Lord Jesus for who He is is when God opens our spiritual eyes. And He does that through the process, obviously, of regeneration. Because being dead in trespasses and sins, we are uh, spiritually deaf, we are spiritually blind, and we are spiritually unresponsive. We cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. And until God takes the initiative and brings our dead souls to life, then all of a sudden we can hear 
what God has to say. We can begin to understand what it is that the Bible means, what Jesus meant when He said the things that He did. We begin to see with our with the eyes of understanding. And so that's what's being discussed here. And Jesus uh, uh, certainly had a clarity of mission and commitment. Uh, again, John twelve twenty seven, where He said, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. So, Today, our session has, uh, I've subtitled our session, Jesus God's Passover Lamb, because we're going to look at Jesus as the fulfillment of that type in the Old Testament of the Passover, and we'll, uh, we'll fill that out as we, uh, as we go along. Again, by way of review, Remember, we've been talking about the necessity of substitutionary sacrifice in Genesis chapter 3. For example, where we first see it, you remember our primeval parents sinned, they ate the forbidden fruit, they disobeyed God. And uh, it says in verse 3 of Genesis 3, then, I'm sorry, in verse 7 of Genesis 3, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. That was their remedy for trying to fix what they had done, to fix their situation there, to assuage themselves of the guilt that they were experiencing because of their disobedience to God. And yet we know the Scriptures tell us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, "...for it's by grace that you were saved through faith." And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. So their efforts were fruitless efforts. They could not uh, uh, accomplish what they wanted to accomplish by, by doing this. And notice in verse 21 it says, "...and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins..." and clothe them. And there we see God taking the initiative, saying essentially, what you've, what you've done is wrong. You've, you have sinned, but your efforts in trying to fix things because of your sin are also wrong. You can't fix it. I'm going to have to fix it myself. And of course, He slew animals and clothed our uh, original parents in animal skins. And there's the picture of the shedding of blood the sacrifice that was uh, that was required uh, our all of our human attempts to assuage our guilt or to placate a holy God uh, are fruitless Psalm 49 verses 7 and 8 says no man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him the ransom for a life is costly no payment is ever enough. That is no payment that a, that a man or a woman could ever give. And yet, God has the sufficient payment. He had the sufficient payment in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Genesis chapter 22, we see, uh, you'll recall, we talked about uh, God's testing Abraham. Let's just read that. After these things, God te- <clears throat> that has to do with the birth of Isaac. Uh, and Isaac is probably a teenager at the time that uh, that this uh, that this is 
that this refers to. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. A burnt offering was a thanksgiving offering. And Isaac, notice Abraham didn't wince. He got up. Uh, he was ready the next morning. He cut the wood for the, uh, for the fire. And he took Isaac and a, at least one servant with him. And they headed out to, uh, to Mount Moriah, which is where uh, uh, Jerusalem and the, uh, ultimately the temple would be built many, many, many years later. And remember, they're going up the mountain. Uh, before they go up the mountain, Abraham turns to his servant and says, "You stay here with these uh, with these donkeys, and the boy and I are going to go up and worship, and we will return." Notice that Abraham was confident that even if God required him to cut that boy's throat in a sacrificial manner, that God's promise. Uh, required that God would have to raise that boy from the dead. And in fact, the book of Hebrews even uh, even talks about that. But in verse 7 it says, Isaac said to his father Abraham, this is while they were uh, climbing up the mountain, where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for Himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So, the uh, <clears throat> what you see again here is that God is the one who must provide the offering, just as He did in the Garden of Eden. Also, He He must provide it here. In fact, this is uh, this is the event that Jesus talked about in John's Gospel when uh, in discussing things with the, with the um, religious hierarchy of His day. When He said uh, He said Abraham rejoiced to see My day, and they said, Hey, you're not even fifty years old. Yet, and you say you, you, uh, you and Abraham are contemporaries. You're out of your mind. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. And they understood exactly what he was claiming. Then he was claiming to be none other than the Great I Am, the God, the one who had appeared to Moses from the burning bush. I am that I am. You tell the children of Israel that I am has sent you. Remember, they uh, make their way up to the mountain. They prepare, prepare the altar, just pile up some stones. Uh, Abraham ties up his son. And remember, his son is probably in the, at least in his late teens, possibly even in his early 20s. But Isaac uh, certainly was uh, uh, cooperative. Apparently a lot of faith either in God or his dad or both. And as a result of that, he stretched him out on the altar. He was ready to plunge the knife into the boy's throat uh, as a uh, to offer him up as a sacrifice. And God stops him. Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. Don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold... Behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering. And notice the next word, next two words, instead of. Instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. 
as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So again, we have not only a picture of sacrifice, but we also have a picture of substitution. And the ram was substituted for the life of the boy, just as many centuries later, the Lord Jesus' life would be substituted for the life of all of God's people there at the cross when He cried out, It is finished. Just a marvelous, marvelous passage. Only God Himself can provide the acceptable sacrifice. Now what I want us to do is to look at the uh, Passover in the Old Testament. Most of us are familiar with the uh, with the Passover. I have some th- I believe I've emailed this to you, at least emailed the link to you uh from uh it's an Something you can find online, it's called Smith's Bible Dictionary. It's been around for a long, long time, and now it's been put online. Let me give you that uh, email address so you can, uh, not email address, the uh, web address. It's www.biblestudytools.com. If you go there and you look up Smith's Bible Dictionary, you can find a lot of information on a lot of things. But just by way of uh, of an introduction to the Passover, remember that the Passover uh, was the first of the three great annual feasts that the Israelites celebrated. And they celebrated this one in the month of Nisan. Now, originally that month was called Abib, but uh, after the 70-year uh, Babylonian captivity, or during the time of the 70-year Babylonian captivity, it took on the name of Nissan. Now, not Nissan like the automobile. This is N-I-S-A-N, Nissan. That uh, usually occurs around the uh, last couple of weeks of March to the first couple of weeks of April. Uh, it's around the time that generally that we celebrate Easter for obvious reasons because at Easter we're celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the Passover has to do with the death of the Passover lamb. The Passover, uh, uh, actually it's the first day in a larger feast known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover itself was actually the, the day of preparation. That's the day they would kill the Passover lamb uh, in the evening around 3 to 4 o'clock in the afternoon and and uh, and then they would begin to roast the lamb and then the on the 15th which began at sundown the 15th of Nissan uh, then that would be the official uh, first day of celebration of unleavened bread. Uh, even today, among our Jewish friends, remember that uh, at the time of Passover, one of the things that they do is they clean all the, the yeast out of the house, the leaven, uh, so that there's, because that's a uh, that's a, a, a biblical picture of uh, of sin. Uh, Let me just read you a a couple of uh, short paragraphs from Smith's Bible Dictionary. I think it would be helpful in terms of uh, of an overview for us. Uh, So this is not original with me. Let me. I'm just uh, reading what uh, someone else has written. This has to do with the first celebration of the Passover, and I quote. 
On the tenth day of the month of Nisan, the head of each family was to select from the flock either a lamb or a kid, a male of the first year, without blemish. If his family was too small to eat the whole lamb, he was permitted to invite his nearest neighbor to join the party. On the fourteenth day of the month, he was to kill his lamb while the sun was setting. He was then to take blood in a basin and with a sprig of hyssop to sprinkle it on the two side posts and the lintel of the door of the house. The lamb was then thoroughly roasted, whole. It was expressly forbidden that it should be boiled or that a bone of it should be broken. Unleavened bread and bitter herbs were to be eaten with the flesh. No male who was uncircumcised was to join the company. Each one was to have his loins girt to hold a staff in his hand and to have shoes on his feet. He was to eat in haste, and it would seem that he was to stand during the meal. The number of the party was to be calculated as nearly as possible so that all the flesh of the lamb might be eaten. But if any portion of it happened to remain, it was to be burned in the morning. No morsel of it was to be carried out of the house. On the 14th of Nisan, they were slain and the blood sprinkled, and in the following evening, after the 15th day of the month had commenced, the first Paschal meal was eaten. At midnight, the firstborn of the Egyptians were smitten. The king and his people were now urgent that the Israelites should start immediately and readily bestowed on them supplies for the journey. In such haste did the Israelites depart on that very day that they packed up their kneading troughs containing the dough prepared for the morrow's provisions, which was not yet leavened. And I close quote. So there's a there's sort of an overview of what we're going to be talking about. And again, I, I commend that to you. There are several really good uh, uh, Bible study websites. And uh, this is one of them. And again, that's BibleStudyTools.com. Now, let's look at the passage itself where we see the Passover first take place and then uh, we're going to where it's revealed in Egypt and then I want us to look briefly where that Passover was revised at Sinai and we'll see why it was revised. Exodus chapter 12 and this is in your notes. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, that's the tenth of Abib, the same as Nisan, remember the name was changed during the Babylonian captivity, on the tenth day of this month, every male, I'm sorry, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household, and if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. <clears throat> So notice, first of all, there's a there's a selection that takes place on the tenth. Now, after uh, the the actual sacrifice of the lamb does not take place until the fourteenth. The idea was that during those intervening four days, the tenth, the eleventh, the twelfth, and the thirteenth, during those four days, the lamb was to be observed and be sure that there was no blemish of any kind. In other words, if uh, if you had a if you had a small flock and one of your one of your lambs had a had a, a lame leg and a and a blind eye, say, well, you know, 
it's going to be hard to sell that one to anybody anyway. Let's just use that one. Oh no 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 no! You had to use the, you had to use one that didn't have any blemish whatsoever. All right. It says, "Your lambs shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight." The word twilight there in the Hebrew means literally between the evenings. That's the time of the evening sacrifice. And that took place at 3 o'clock generally in the afternoon. Certainly by 4 o'clock it had, uh, it had been done. Isn't it interesting that Jesus died? The Bible tells the New Testament uh, reveals to us that, the, that Jesus died on the cross at 3 p.m. in the afternoon at the very time that the uh, Passover lamb uh, lambs were being sacrificed. It says, Then you shall take some of the blood, put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night. Now notice, that night, remember, Jewish... Time is different from ours. We, you know, we start uh, our day starts at twelve midnight, and uh, you know it's it's the next day. But in uh, the Jewish economy, the day the the next day began at that evening at twilight, or not at twilight, but uh, but at sundown, at sunset. That's when the next day started. So the lamb is killed on the fourteenth. And then uh, you would begin to do your preparations to roast it and begin the roasting process. And by the time uh, the the rest of the afternoon had gone and uh, the night had fallen, now it's the 15th and it's the first day of unleavened bread. And... Uh, it says, uh, Then they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall, uh, you shall burn. Notice again that the lamb is selected. It's a perfect lamb. It's a perfect or kid. It's a it's a it's a perfect sacrifice. The, there's the application of the blood that takes place. And then there is, so he tells us about the cooking method here that is, uh, <clears throat> to roast. There was, uh, uh, and that's a picture of going through the fires of judgment by roasting. There was no boiling or any of that kind of thing that's going on. Uh, and no protection from the fire. The, the fire will actually touch the, uh, touch the, the lamb that's been sacrificed. And then there are side dishes, uh, the bitter herbs, for example, that we, uh, that we read about, and the unleavened bread. It says, don't eat any of it raw, raw or boiled, but roasted. And then if there's anything left over in the morning, you're to burn that up, throw it in the fire. And it's a great picture of the Lord Jesus who gave it all. And He took away all of our sin. But uh, He was consumed with the judgment of God, not because of His sin, because He didn't have any, but because of our sin. But we'll talk more about that. This is a typology here in a few minutes. 
Let's keep reading. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And and most Bible expositors believe because of because of all of those things that you would eat it standing up, which was which would be a very unusual thing to uh, for most of us to to do. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And then in verse thirteen it says, "The blood shall be a sign for you." On the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will do what? I will pass over you. That's where the term comes from. The death angel came through Egypt, remember, and everywhere the blood was, where it was on the doorposts and the lintel, and of course there's some that would drip down on the threshold. So it made the it made a um, it was symbolic of a cross. Uh, everywhere the death angel passed, uh, saw saw the blood, the death angel would pass over. But in those areas where they didn't believe or didn't trust or didn't know about all of this, uh, the death angel would enter and the firstborn would die from uh, from the household of Pharaoh all the way down to the cattle in the stalls. Verse 21 uh, says, uh, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop. Hyssop was a little um, bush that just grew wild everywhere. And dip it in the blood that's in the basin. And touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that's in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. Notice, the only place you were safe was under the shed blood. You had to be inside the building where the shed blood had been applied. The only place we are safe from the judgment of God. The only place where we do not have to fear the condemnation of God is when the blood has been applied to our lives. And of course that occurs through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when He sees the blood on the lintel and a two-door post, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. So we we see it uh, we we see it established here. It was revealed to Moses in Egypt, and they practiced it for the first time there. And remember, as soon as it was over, I mean, when the death angel struck, all of a sudden Pharaoh is ready for him to get out of Dodge. Just get out of here. And of course, they had already uh, contacted their Egyptian neighbors, and the neighbors gave them all kinds of uh, valuables, and uh, and so they. They left. They left Egypt uh, uh, well supplied. But it was not only. Uh, it was also to be memorialized, and uh, notice that passage from Exodus chapter thirteen, verses eight through ten. It says, "On that day, and see, this would facilitate family unity. It would. It would explain some things to the next generation. On that day." Tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time, year after year. And our uh, Orthodox Jews particularly 
certainly still uh, still do this, although they don't offer up any sort of sacrifice because the only place you could order, offer a sacrifice is at the temple, and there is no temple anymore, which is the reason we're going to talk about it being revised at Sinai. Let me read you one other passage that's in, not in your notes from Exodus chapter 12, verses 26 and 27, uh, when God... Uh, through Moses uh, uh, reveals this, says this, and says, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? See, what are we doing that evokes questions from our children? What, what, what is all this stuff about the, about the bread and the, and the juice at church, Dad? Uh, what is this about the bread and the wine? What, what is this about dipping people under water? What is this about sprinkling water on somebody's head? Why, why, why do we do all of that? See, there should be things that we're doing that should evoke uh, questions from our children. And it says, And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For He passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when He struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. And then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So they certainly kept this first, uh, this first Passover just as God commanded them to. But eventually it was revised. Remember, after they, after they left Egypt, uh, within a year they arrived, uh, <clears throat> in less, certainly less than a year, they arrived at Sinai where they would receive the law and the, uh, the uh, instructions for the construction of the tabernacle, which was a mobile worship center. And along with that, the instructions for the tabernacle, they would receive all of that ceremonial law about all the various offerings and how the, 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 how the priests were to dress and just lots and lots and lots of instructions. So, and things were revised there. And uh, I put a couple of passages in your notes there in that left hand column under Roman numeral 2 near the bottom of the page. First of all, in terms of the place of celebration, now remember what what they've been doing uh, at this first Passover was when they celebrated that they just they did that at their own homes, Every, you know, or you you get a neighbor or two if you know your kids are grown up, moved off, and uh, you and your wife or you and your husband. I mean, there's no way you could eat that whole lamb. So you find some other folks kind of in the same way you are, and you invite them and say, "Hey, why don't y'all just come on over and we'll we'll just all eat together." So maybe two or three uh, couples that didn't, or four that didn't have children, might get together, or maybe one family of four or five, and and uh, and the and the grandparents would get together, and they would have that one lamb. And so, uh, but that was always that was done at someone's home. Now that's going to change. Uh, it was revised at Sinai because one of the things that God uh, told them and. Moses uh, uh, reviewed this with him in Deuteronomy 12. He said, But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put His name and make His habitation there. Now, we know... Now, when... When Moses said this, remember the children of Israel had not entered into the promised land. 
So they didn't know where this was going to be. But now we look at it in hindsight, we know exactly where it's going to be. It's in the city of Jerusalem, and he was talking about the, uh, the, the temple that ultimately would be built by Solomon. He said, there you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, and there you shall eat before the Lord your God. In other words, you don't do this at the house anymore. Again, three times a year, uh, Jewish males were required to go to Jerusalem. And this Passover was the, uh, was the first of those times in the year. Again, corresponding to late March to early April, depending on... Remember, they, they operated on, uh, on a lunar calendar, and the, the uh, Jewish religious calendar still is a, is a lunar calendar rather than a solar calendar like ours. But it was a central place. It was a place that would that would help in in terms of the unity of the nation uh, and it uh it was confirmed it was actually constructed i guess i should say uh, around 930 bc was when solomon did that so uh and notice what uh <clears throat> what happens in first kings chapter 12 uh <clears throat> It says, and Jeroboam said in his heart, "If now let's pause here for a minute. I guess I need to give you a little background on Jeroboam. After Solomon died, his son Rehoboam took the throne. But Solomon had, while he had been a good ruler in a lot of ways and had constructed the temple and done those kinds of things, the the truth was that uh, the taxes were just extremely high. Uh, there were people who were being conscripted, uh, Israelites were being conscripted to do work, now not for the full year, but they would have to leave their homes and their business to go and, and do work on these uh, national projects, among which were the temple, um, also the uh, uh, Solomon's house, and, and a lot of other things that were going on. And so a lot of people were upset about the high taxes and all that. And uh, one of the people who had worked, uh, who actually had been one of the foremen on the construction projects was a man named Jeroboam. And uh, God had revealed to Jeroboam that the... Uh, that he was going to be king over the northern tribes of uh, of Israel, the ten northern tribes, because when Jeroboam came to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, and said, you know, if you'll just kind of ease up, uh, and in fact, uh, Rehoboam went to the went to the elders uh, who had served his father Solomon and said, uh, "What do you think about this request that they're making?" And they said, "Hey, your your dad, you know, great man and all that, but he was a hard taskmaster. If you would just ease up on these folks, these folks will serve you from now on." And so, but Rehoboam decided that wasn't quite enough counsel, so he went to a lot of his buddies. They just hung out with younger guys. And the younger guy said, no, you don't want to ease up on them. You just you want to put the hammer down on these people. You just tell them that, that in comparison to what, uh, what you're going to do, that what your dad Solomon did was like your little finger, and, and you're going to give them the fist. 
And so unfortunately, uh, Rehoboam took that advice and as a result, there was a great split. And the, the, the uh, tribes of uh, Benjamin and Judah remained loyal to Rehoboam, uh, primarily because Rehoboam was from the tribe of Judah, the ruling tribe, and because Jerusalem was in the uh, land that belonged to Benjamin. And the, the ten other tribes uh, came under the, uh, the leadership of Jeroboam. <clears throat> Jeroboam said in his heart, If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Notice he recognized that... Three times a year, they were supposed to, all the males were supposed to go back. He said, these folks are going to start going back and they're going to run into all their old pals. They're going to get caught up in worshiping the Lord. Um, it's going to bring back a lot of great memories. And what's going to happen is this nation's going to be reunited and I'm not going to get to be king anymore. So notice what, Re I'm sorry, notice what Jeroboam did. So the king, Jeroboam, took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, People, you've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. No, you don't need to be making that trip. Let me make things a lot easier for you. He goes on to say, Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Dan was a northern city, and Bethel was... Uh, was down south, uh, and so they wouldn't have to go as far to worship. And and the the reason he did that again is because he realized that one of the one of God's purposes was to promote national unity. And the last thing that this King Jeroboam wanted was national unity. But but the point I'm trying to make, and I'm not sure I'm doing a good job of it because I'm sort of belaboring it. The, the point is, is that this the Passover, the place of the Passover where it was to be uh, done was revised at Sinai. It was to be done only at the at the place of central worship. From then, uh, from the time that the uh, that the temple was uh, was built. Now, having said all of that. Uh, I want us to look at uh, the Passover as a type. Uh, that is one of the things that John the Baptizer said when, uh, after baptizing Jesus, and Jesus came the next day. And when John the Baptizer saw him, he said, "Behold, the Lamb of God." who takes away the sin of the world. Now, the only way a lamb could take away sin, the only way a lamb could cover sin, to make a person ceremonially clean under the Old Covenant, it did not actually expunge sin. Uh, but the only way it could was through the death of the animal. And so when John the baptizer points his finger at Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he's recognizing that this is God's sacrifice. Uh, this person is ultimately going to make the sacrifice. Of course, it would be about three to three and a half years later before that happened. 
Uh, let me read you again a, uh, just a short uh, paragraph or two from Smith's Bible Dictionary that talks a little bit about this, and then I want us to uh, spend most uh, our, the last of our time just looking at specific Bible verses that uh, that reinforce uh, what what we're talking about here. Uh, this is under a section called the Passover as a type. It says the Passover, and again I quote. The Passover was not only commemorative, but also typical. The deliverance which it commemorated was a type of the great salvation it foretold. No other shadow of things to come contained in the law can vie with the festival of the Passover in expressiveness and completeness. The Paschal Lamb must, of course, be regarded as the leading feature in the ceremony of the festival. The Lamb slain typified Christ, the Lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 5. According to the divine purpose, the true Lamb of God was slain at nearly the same time as the Lord's Passover, at the same season of the year, and at the same time of the day as the daily sacrifice at the temple. The crucifixion being at the hour of the morning sacrifice and ending at the hour of the evening sacrifice. That the lamb was to be roasted and not boiled has been supposed to commemorate the haste of the departure of the Israelites. It's not difficult to determine the reason of the command, not a bone of him shall be broken. The lamb was to be a symbol of unity, the unity of the family, the unity of the nation, the unity of God with His people whom He had taken into covenant with Himself. The unleavened bread ranks next in importance to the Paschal Lamb. We are warranted in concluding that unleavened bread had a peculiar sacrificial character according to the law. It seems more reasonable to accept St. Paul's reference to the subject in 1 Corinthians 5 as furnishing the true meaning of the symbol. Because fermentation is decomposition, a dissolution of unity. Again, and I close quote, again he talks about the fact the lamb was to be roasted uh, because they were in haste. But it was also roasted in terms, it was a picture of the judgment of God. It was subject to fire, to fire touching it. And that's what, that's what we see happening to the Lord Jesus as He hung on the cross. And, uh, he was subject to, the, uh, to the, the judgment, the condemnation of His Father, even though He had done nothing wrong, but He had become the sin bearer for all of God's people and He died in our place. And certainly the... Uh, the uh, unleavened bread is a is certainly a an emblem of uh of purity because there's no there's no leaven that's uh that's mixed in with that so uh, and let me oh let me read let me read you one other very short little thing from the from uh, Smith's Bible Dictionary. And again, this is just to help you with the background of all this. We're gonna we're gonna look at some verses here in just a moment. Some more verses. He says the uh, the Passover is a type of deliverance from the slavery of sin. It's the passing over of the doom we deserve for our sins because the blood of Christ has been applied to us by faith. The sprinkling of the blood upon the doorposts was a symbol of open confession of our allegiance and love. The Passover was useless unless it was eaten. So we 
live upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It was eaten with bitter herbs, as we must eat our Passover with the bitter herbs of repentance and confession, which yet, like the bitter herbs of the Passover, are a fitting and natural accompaniment. As the Israelites ate the Passover, all prepared for the journey, and so do we, with a readiness and desire to enter the active service of Christ and to go on the journey toward heaven. And again, I close quote. Now with that in mind, look at page 2 of your notes. Again, we're, we're introduced... Uh, John the baptizer introduces us to Jesus with, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, you know, in the, uh, the passage we read from Genesis chapter 22, Isaac's question was, Dad, where is the Lamb? And we get the answer here. Here's the Lamb of God. And from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we get uh, another answer in which this... At the same time, at the time of Jesus' baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But God's revelation to John the baptizer proved Jesus' identity. Uh, and of course, John is pronouncing that to all who are around. Now it's interesting that uh, when John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, uh, some of John's own disciples were there. And among those were, uh, were Andrew, uh, and was Andrew. And notice the passage from First uh, Peter... <clears throat> I'm sorry, from John chapter 1. It says, The next day he, uh, this is John the baptizer, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. Now remember, John the baptizer physically was six months older than Jesus. Remember, Elizabeth was pregnant and Mary went to see her and she was six months along in her pregnancy. Pregnancy. But he says, He was before me. And this is an acknowledgement on the part of the baptizer that Jesus certainly is, uh, is the Almighty. He is the one who is timeless. He's the one who has no beginning. I myself did not know Him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that He might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on Him. I myself didn't know Him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And then notice what happens. The next day, Again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And notice what he did. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Notice you, you've, got, you've got Andrew here who is already professing faith in Jesus as the Messiah. We have found Him who is the Messiah. But the first thing he does is he says, this is, this is too good a news to keep to myself, and the first thing I need to do is to tell my brother about it. And Peter writes about that. 
in 1 Peter chapter 1. This is in the left-hand column of your notes there under Roman numeral 3. Roman numeral 3. But 1 Peter 1 verses 17 and following, Peter would later write this, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Notice he's uh, he says he's the you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That's 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 a reference to that Jesus is the Passover lamb. He is the fulfillment of that type uh, in the Passover. Now, you will notice in your notes that there's a chart there, and I want us to spend most of the rest of our time, try to leave a little time to look at the application, but uh, I want us to look at those uh, this chart where there's a comparison between the Passover observance in the Old Testament and the messianic significance, that is how Jesus fulfilled these things that were talked about in the Old Testament. Now what they did in the Old Testament was real, and it had real implications. The the destroyer passed over the houses. He didn't go into the houses where the where the blood was there. And there was a there was a sense in which there was a ceremonial cleansing uh, year after year as the Passover was uh, was celebrated there at the temple. And and uh, uh, a ceremonial cleansing. But it was more than that. It was also a type of the one who would come, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, first of all, that the Passover lamb was a male without blemish. And Jesus is the sinless Son of God. In First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, it says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without de- blemish or defect. And so what happened, remember, Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on that Sunday, the Sunday before. That's when we talk about the triumphal entry. That's Palm Sunday. That was the 10th of Nisan when He rode in. And so on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday... He was there to be observed. Remember, during that time, he said, "Who among you convinces me? Of, who convicts me of sin? You don't find any sin in my life." He presented himself as the perfect, uh, blemishless uh, Lamb of God, and he was there to be uh, viewed, to be inspected, to be questioned, to be looked at, and for it to be evident to everybody that there was no blemish in him but he would die on the 14th. Now, so and that's that's that next section the lamb was set aside for four days observation beginning on the 10th. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the 10th of Nisan presenting himself as Messiah. And we see that in Matthew chapter 21 where it says as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, "Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her." Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he'll send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. 
Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of Him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! That's the presentation on that Sunday before Passover. That's the uh, the 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 lamb is is there to be inspected. Isn't it interesting that this many of those probably who were in this crowd yelling Hosanna, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, may have been among the crowd that was just a few days later would be shouting crucify him, crucify him, turn Barabbas loose and crucify Jesus. We have no king but Caesar. Uh, it was during this time, certainly, that the that the leaven was removed from from the house. Uh, I, I failed to put that in your notes. I apologize. Uh, perhaps uh, a, 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 uh, the correlation to that is that it was uh, Jesus for the second time cleansed the temple. Remember, they would uh, they, they had a, a series of, of courtyards uh, outside the temple, and the outermost one was the was the courtyard of the Gentiles. And this is where the merchants would set up all of their tables so that you could exchange your Roman money for uh, for temple money because you certainly couldn't uh, offer any kind of money to uh, to the Lord, uh, bring it in that had... That had uh, Caesar's picture on it, so you had to change that. And of course, there was a nominal fee for doing that change. Uh, also, they had uh, animals out there that had been inspected by the local rabbis and had passed muster. They were without blemish, so certainly you can use these animals. And uh, there is a there is a charge that we make for having done that. And so Jesus once more begins to turn over tables, and money goes everywhere. And I bet the animals went wild and that place turned into a mess before it was all over. But then we see next that the lamb was sacrificed on the 14th of Nisan at 3 p.m. And Jesus died on the 14th of Nisan at 3 p.m. In Matthew chapter 27, it says, from the sixth hour, that's noon, until the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m., darkness came over all the land. And about the ninth hour, 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is Aramaic, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in those dark moments for the Lord Jesus, the Father turned His back on the Son. For the first time in all of eternity, the, here are two members of the Godhead who were no longer face-to-face enjoying that eternal fellowship because Jesus had become the sin offering for His people and the Father had to turn away from Him. The lamb's bones, remember, were not to be broken, and Jesus' bones were not broken. In John 19, verse 32 and 33, it says, "...the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that He was already dead..." They didn't break his legs. So again, you see a fulfillment. Jesus is uh, the, the 
the Passover lamb is a type and Jesus fulfills in every way that type. The lamb's blood uh, was applied to the doorpost to deliver the Israelites from the death angel and it's Jesus' blood that saves the believing sinner from sin and eternal separation from God. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it, the law, can never by the same sacrifices repeatedly, repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they have not stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for Me. You see, we, we animals can't take away our sin. It was a picture of a substitutionary sacrifice in the Old Testament, but they couldn't really take away sin. We had to have something that would correspond to us. But the problem was that I can't die for your sin and you can't die for mine because we both got the same problem, and that is we're both sinners. So we needed a human being who was sinless who could die for us. Boy, we're in a mess because there's no such thing. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's why the second person of the Godhead stepped out of eternity in time and space and took on our humanity. Not our He didn't have our sinful nature. He did ultimately take our sins, but he did have our human nature, and that's what made him the perfect sacrifice. The lamb must be eaten entirely. There would be no leftovers. And you and I are to feast on Christ. Remember in John chapter 6, Jesus said, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And remember, the, uh, the, the Jews got really upset. They thought he was talking about cannibalism. Jesus went on to say, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. The one who feeds on me will live because of me. He who feeds on this bread will live forever. And of course, Jesus is speaking figuratively here that we are to feast on Him. The lamb is to be eaten with bitter herbs and unleavened bread in the Old Testament. And you and I are to put off the old self and to put on the new self. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 5, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival. Now, when he says festival, he's talking about the the feast of unleavened bread. Remember, the Passover that day was the day of preparation. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 
And in Ephesians 4, verse 22, He said, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the new attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And this word new, there are two words for new in the Greek New Testament. There's one word new, neos, which means the latest one down down the pipe. The other one is the word kainos, which means a prototype. There's never been one like it before. That's the word that's used, uh, used here. And then finally, the Passover was to be memorialized. We, we talked about that when you know your son says, why are we doing all this stuff? Well, the Lord initiated the, the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> he said, you know, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of Me. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul also writes about that, where he says, uh, talks, he actually quotes from the... Uh, uh, the Lord after the that supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, what are we to conclude from from all of this quickly? Because I, I, most of our time is gone. I put in your notes there four uh, applications. And so uh, let's, let's look at at least a couple of them. First of all, regarding the issue of sin and separation from God, Isaiah says that all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Passover lamb of the Old Testament could assuage feelings of guilt and make a person ceremonially clean, but it could not take away actual sin and guilt, even though it might be offered in sincerity. Jesus of Nazareth, Son of God, Messiah, is the Lamb of God whose death atoned for all of the sins of all of God's people, regardless of gender, race, ethnicity, social standing. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul wrote, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the question is, are you in Christ? Have you ever repented of your sin? Have you ever cried out for God to have mercy on your wretched soul and to save you and to make a new person out of you? Secondly, regarding the sinner's inability to understand God's truth and the necessity for divine revelation. Notice, Though he was a prophet of God and the cousin of Jesus, John the baptizer didn't recognize the true identity of Jesus until God the Father was pleased to reveal it to him. And that's true of us all. 1 Corinthians 2 says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. He cannot. Notice, it's not just an unwillingness, it's an inability. He cannot understand them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. Well, why can't we understand it? Because you're spiritually dead. And that's the reason we need to cry out to God, Oh God, bring me to life. Make a new person out of me. And it's our responsibility to tell the good news about Jesus. Just like Andrew went and 
found his uh, found his brother Simon Peter and Philip and went and told Nathaniel, who told us? Whom have we told? In whose life are we investing right now? And then finally, but certainly very importantly, regarding our attitude and our gratitude for God's grace and mercy in Christ. And I think Isaac Watts summed it up well in his great hymn, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Praise be to God for His great mercy in Christ. He is our Passover Lamb. And because He is our Passover Lamb, when the wrath of God one day will fall upon this earth, He will pass over all of those who are under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you are among that number. Praise be to God. Let's pray. You've been listening to Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Your gifts to Focus on Truth are tax deductible. For a free copy of our monthly newsletter, Glimpses of Truth, or other information about the ministry, write to Focus on Truth, Box 5367, Columbus, Georgia, 31906.